Well, I was obviously running businesses, you, you earn a pretty good, you, know, you earn a great salary actually, Bushy, but it takes up a lot of your time. And up until 2009, I'd pretty much, I would just abdicate responsibility for all this extra cash flow that we had to someone else to manage. And I think, I, I believe trust but verify people. You know, I, I, I don't think you... you you, you can't do everything on your own. So I think it was the right approach. I just hadn't done the, enough due diligence. And the due diligence was, one, to understand what I was being invested in, and two, you know, what, what, you know, what the incentive was for me to invest in it and what the incentive was for other people for me to invest in it. Welcome to the Get Invested podcast, where we share great conversations with experts from all walks of life, uncover their secret know-how and where they invest their time, their skills and their money and the benefits that this has created. You see, the truth is that everyone invests every minute of every day. We're investing our time, our skills, our energy and our money in something. Some of us are investing consciously, some unconsciously, sometimes for good, sometimes for bad, sometimes for no impact. Get Invested will help you to start living by design, not by default. I'm going to help you to make it happen, not let it happen. You will hear the top tips on how you can live with conscious intent so that you can live more, work less, and leave a living legacy by investing now. Listen to the show to discover the top tips on how to get started, make the most of your investment journey, and ultimately to be living your dream, not someone else's. More episodes can be found on iTunes or at bushymartin.com.au forward slash invested. Thanks for listening, and now, let's get invested. Hi, Freedom Fighters. How much do you focus on your work and how much do you understand and actually actively manage your investments? Many of us start out thinking that if we just invest everything in our work and careers and become successful in this one single area of our lives, then everything else will just fall into place and fortune and fame will naturally follow. Just work hard, become good at what you do and everything else will just take care of itself. So we continue to put everything into the panacea of our professions with a kind of blind faith in our advisors that our unconscious investments will grow all by themselves. Let's take your superannuation as an example. Do you actually know what your current balance is? And where is your hard-earned super actually being invested? And how has it performed last year and over the last 10 years? How is it likely to perform next year and the year after that? Do you have any idea or do you just leave it to the so-called experts blindly trusting them and then casually glancing at your annual statement when you send it off to your accountant every year. 
I mean, you've got years before you retire, so you've got plenty of time, so you just don't have to worry about it, right? Wrong. Unfortunately, I know from bitter personal experience many years ago that a preoccupation with work and a hands-off approach to your future investments is fraught with danger and a slow road to destruction. Blind faith and disinterested trust is a dangerous combination when it comes to securing your future. As I repeatedly say in my book, The Freedom Formula, I can't emphasise enough how important it is to invest in your investment knowledge so that you understand where you or others are investing your hard-earned coin, so that you understand the risks as well as the rewards, and then you need to actively manage your managers to keep them accountable, because at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. And someone else who also understands these lessons intimately is today's special guest, Peter Meek. As you're about to hear, Peter's a highly accomplished CEO and company director who lost all of his wealth during the GFC and has successfully rebuilt it by becoming an active, self-accountable international investor across multiple asset classes, so I can't wait to unpack his story and glean the lessons learned. So welcome, and let's get invested, Peter. Hey, Bushy, how are you? Awesome, mate. Uh, really looking forward to digging into uh, your journey today. I, I know it's going to be of massive interest to myself and everyone else listening in. But uh, before we get into that, mate, to, to state the bleeding obvious, uh, who are you, what do you do, and most importantly, why do you do what you do? Well, uh, I'm Peter Meek. I'm first and foremost husband to Joe. I'm very lucky for it. Brother to two brothers in the UK, Rob and Tony, and son of my mum, Marlene, uh, who's also in the UK. What I do, probably the way I describe it now is I've got a portfolio career, Bushy. I do lots of little things, but all of them, I'm sort of, I'm doing them because I want to do them. I invest in property. I've invested in some property startups. Uh, I've got properties in the UK and Australia. And I also do some coaching and mentoring to people, particularly in the food industry, because you know, I've spent a lifetime working in that industry. I've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of passion, so I like helping those guys as well. And the why is really about helping my family and other people, you know, be the best they can be. Yeah, love it, love it. Uh, very fulfilling uh, goals as far as that goes. So let, let's sort of dig into your history a bit then if we can and um, uh, almost like a, a Reader's Digest version uh, and Looking at both, uh, sort of a parallel look at both your professional uh, journey as well as your personal investment journey, and focus on where you've invested your time, your energy, and your money over the years, and and uh, what have you learned from it, and how has this led to you, uh, where you are today? Well, I, I think um, I come from a family of uh, small. You know, my mum and dad had their own business, so up until sort of 16, I was very focused on just doing something for myself. And actually, back in 1982, that my dad uh, went bankrupt, you know, made some poor decisions, more importantly, was let down by some people that he trusted. But we pretty much lost everything. We had to start again. And that really had quite a profound impact on me, Bushy, because it mm. made him really ill. Yeah. And I sort of said to myself, well, I can't follow that path. I have to do something different. So I, I moved into the corporate world. I, I went and worked um, for Unilever, um, who were making ice cream in the UK. And I was basically doing product development, which is probably one of the best jobs in the world, right? I got to eat ice cream every day. <laughs> but 
but I didn't have any qualifications then. Uh, I didn't do a university degree. And what I realized quite quickly is education is really important. Whatever path you take in life, you've got to get educated. So in the corporate world, you know, Unilever was a great company, but it was a, I'd describe it as a meritocracy for the elite. And the elite were people that had, you know, uh, degree educations. So I basically went to night school, did A-levels, and then went to university and got a degree thinking that that would be my my route to success. And rejoined uh, basically Nestle, which is another big food organization, and I did really well with Nestle. I, I worked there for quite a few years, and back in 2000, I was given the opportunity to say, Peter, there's two job opportunities with you for Nestle. One of them's in Croydon, which is like the backside of London, <laughs> to describe it. And the other one's in Melbourne, selling ice cream to Australians. And I thought, oh, my God, selling ice creams to Australians in the sun. This is going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. <laughs> Love it. So you jumped on a plane. So we jumped on, jumped on a plane, you know, worked really hard here, worked with some great people at Nestle Peters. They even named the company after me, which I thought was very good of them. <laughs> and ended up running that business. Um, I, I was there for uh, three years and I ended up running that business, which to be candid was I was, I started in marketing, but I was, you know, I'd done sales, but I ended up running that business very quickly. And was probably out of my depth, or in fact, not probably, I was definitely out of my depth. And I really struggled with that job. And in the end, yeah, I did that for three years. The business up until that point had been doing really well. And then in the last 12 months, it was a bit of a disaster. And they basically gave me a choice. They said, look, you can either, you know, step outside and say leave, or we're going to send you to North Africa, which it taken my wife six years to become accustomed to living in Australia. There was no way she was going to North Africa. So I, I stepped out. Yeah. And that was that was the first time I realized that I'd worked really hard there and I'd done the best that I could, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. And so I had to firstly recover from that and say, well, what have, what have I learned? And I did learn a huge amount about how not to do things. <laughs> um, Can you share some I, of those with us? I, I mean, I think yeah. that's, there's some gold right there. Do you mind sort of well, un- unpacking those yeah. learnings? Yeah, look, the biggest learning was you can't do it on your own. Yeah. You know, you might be the, you might be the, the director of that business, but you have to achieve through others. So you've got to get the right people with better skills than you in the functional areas and empower them. And I... I I was trying to micromanage a little bit and fiddling in all the things that they were more skilled at than I was. And as a consequence, the business slowed down. You know, we became more bureaucratic. We made bad decisions and it, it cost the business quite a bit of momentum. Yeah. And, you know, micromanaging a business worth $300 million with, I think we had about 500 people. That's a lot of micromanaging, Bushy. It almost killed me. I was working... 90 hours a week and eating, drinking, sleeping the business. And the funny thing was, what I learned was I got promoted into running that role because I'd done a fantastic job heading up marketing and we built the business. The brand had become number one. We brought some great innovation. And I'd made a link between my self-worth and how the business was performing. So when the business was performing, I felt a million dollars 
Now, when the business didn't perform, and yeah, and a, a fair part of that was because of me, but some of it was just bad luck. Yep. My link to who I was, which was I'm company meek, if the business is not performing, then I'm not performing. And that was a really tough lesson to learn because actually what I've learned subsequently is you've got to be able to know that you've done you've done a, the best job that you can, but you've got to be able to disconnect. And a friend of mine, Gary, used to say, you can be a great player out of luck. You can play the best game but still lose. Yeah but you've got to look after yourself so you can play the next game. And that was a big learning for me. So I was still very passionate about running businesses, but I also made sure that I was able to disconnect from the business. And the paradox with it, Bushy, was it made me a better leader yep. because I let people get on with stuff. I, I didn't want to get involved in the detail. So I just recruited really great people, set the direction and let them get on with things. Yep. And the business, you know, the next business that I, I worked in was, a, you know, that I ran was Chobani Yogurt. Okay. And, and that was a, that was a, a, basically a startup and, you know, went from nothing to market leader in five years. And, you know, it couldn't have been a more different experience than the experience I had at Peter's. But, you know, the biggest difference was I, you know, I behaved very differently there. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd got a lot of things wrong. I didn't make those mistakes twice. Yeah, love it. Love it. And, and learning from the lessons is uh, is the first lesson, actually. So, uh, love that. T tell us a bit more about your time at uh, Tabani uh, in terms of the things that um, uh, really assisted you in, in your outlook on life while you were there. Well, I think the biggest thing, Bushy, was the guy that owned the business, uh, an entrepreneur called Hamdi Ulukaya. You know, amazing story in the U.S., Turkish immigrant, went to the U.S., only really knew how to make cheese and yogurt, so, <laughs> so that's what he did, and went from nothing to a billion dollars in five years, and basically delivering amazing food at really good value, you know, yeah. uh, and really looking after his community. You know, his people and his community were as important as his consumers and his customers. And getting that balance, and that was that was liberating for me because I, I'd always felt that big corporations are often just driven by one dimension, yep. which is, you know, shareholder value. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, businesses have to make a profit because profit's a bit like breathing. If you can't breathe, you don't survive very long. <laughs> but it, it's no purpose for an organisation. And working for someone like Hamdi, who said, look, I want, we're going to build the number one brand in Australia. Just tell me what you need. And it was a how-to challenge rather than can we? And, and, but doing that through people, you know, recruiting really good people, empowering people, being really clear about where we were going, what was important to us, having very strong values in the organisation so that people knew if something wasn't right, they could speak up. And that, that was really, really powerful. And, and what's really interesting is if you've got a very strong culture in an organisation and other, other people, other organisations see that. So when we go and talk to Coles and Woolies, those guys were really tough to deal with. Yeah. But they could see that we were a business on a mission and they wanted to partner with us and we made life fun for them. You know, we 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 were prepared to do things that some of the other guys weren't prepared to do. 
And, you know, we knew that we'd get most things wrong, but we would learn fast and we, we'd redo it better than the first time. So it was just a, it was and still is a very dynamic organisation that has its people and its, its community at the centre of it. And as a consequence, is really successful and really profitable because, you know, they're the engine room of the business. Yeah, totally agree. I, I know that you sort of shared with me offline something that was a little bit unique and I, I certainly haven't seen any other CEOs do a similar exercise and that is to uh, sort of look at every uh, email consumer inquiry that came through and came in. Can you talk talk to us a, a little bit about that and, and how and why that was so powerful? I, I think what, what, I, what I learned was I wanted to... I didn't want to be in the detail of the business, but I wanted to hear what people were saying. It was so sort of a trust and sort of verify. And, and the feedback that consumers would write in, both good and bad, was really important because it gave you it gave you sentiment as to how people felt about the organization. And, and we would get, you know, we would get the next door neighbor contact us, we'd get consumers contact us, we'd get customers contact us. So it was a real it was a real um, thermometer of what was happening in the business. And the other thing that was really important was you have a real opportunity when someone reaches out to you, how you respond to them can make all the difference. You know, you literally can turn a complaint into a, an adoring fan by how you treat them and, and with respect, understand their problem and engage with them in a meaningful way. And so, Quite often, it was a bit of a surprise, you know, that they'd write a note and then get a phone call from the CEO of Chibani to understand what had gone wrong with their yogurt. But that was really important. It was important for me and it was important for them. And we we always shared the feedback from our customers and our consumers with the whole organisation because it was everyone's job to put that right. But I found that if you can... If you can connect with all the stakeholders that are interacting with your business, even at a slight level, then you have a really good feel for what's happening, and you know where you can let let you know empower more, or, but also you can quite quickly work out. Well, I need to spend a bit more time on this, and it's not to micromanage; it's just to make sure that that area had the resources, the tools, and the equipment that they needed to do the job, and that made a big difference. And I always knew literally the complaints per million units we sold at any given point in time. On some weeks, Bushy, yeah. we literally had no complaints. And we would have donuts for donuts weeks then. Everyone in the factory got Krispy Kreme donuts, all they could eat, because we achieved donuts in terms of customer complaints and often getting lots of compliments. Love that. I, I love the way you're linking the customer experience back to everyone in the organisation. Uh, so it's, it's such a, a simple method and you know unfortunately uh, you know, a lot of us get caught up in the hype of the power of the position that we're in and, and lose touch with what's actually happening on the ground I, I love the way you were able to really tap into the pulse of what what was going on and then relate it in a way that was meaningful both to uh, those that who uh, you know taken the time to either compliment or otherwise but then then sort of integrate that back into each and every member of the of the organisation so that they can all see how they're contributing to the whole. That's, that's very powerful, mate, very powerful. Love it. Now, mate, um, what I'd love to do as well, uh, given that you were, you know, for a fair period of time there putting 90 hours a week plus into into your career, 
I'd love to look at the parallel with that in terms of uh, your investment journey and uh, at some of the uh, highs and lows that you might have experienced uh, along that journey before uh, taking an active role in what you're now doing. Can you sort of uh, talk us through some of that? So, so when I was obviously running businesses, you, you earn a pretty good, you, know, you earn a great salary actually, Bushy, but it takes up a lot of your time. And up until 2009, I'd pretty much, I would just abdicate responsibility for all this extra cash flow that we had to someone else to manage. And, you know, and I think, I, I believe trust but verify people. You know, I, I don't think you, 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 you can't do everything on your own. So I think it was the right approach. I just hadn't done the, enough due diligence. And the due diligence was, one, to understand what I was being invested in, and two, you know, what, what, you know, what the incentive was for me to invest in it and what the incentive was for other people for me to invest in it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we lost... Literally, having had a very successful corporate career, found ourselves after the GFC basically in negative equity because we'd over-invested in things that were a lot higher risk, as it turns out, than we understood. I didn't understand them because I, I just didn't have the time or the capacity to educate myself around them. And, you know, literally lost everything. And and now I look back, it was actually... It, it wasn't didn't feel it at the time, but it was actually a gift because the gift was, I said, well, if it's going to be, it's up to me. I need to, if I'm going to make investments outside of my job, I need to understand enough about those investments so that I can either do it myself or more likely given you know, how busy my job was, I could find others and manage them to do the job for me. You know, and, and that was... That was a real tipping point for, for me, and we decided that property was the platform for us. Yeah, well, yeah. let me dive in there. Why property, mate? I'd, there's a, a number of different uh, sort of vehicles or avenues you could have gone down. But what was appealing uh, about property as you saw it? Well, the first and foremost is we perceived it as being the low risk. You know, it's safe as bricks and mortar, bushy. I've, I've heard that <laughs> phrase growing up, and, and I believe it to be true. And so, and it, it's there were lots of people doing it bushy, so it was easier to learn than perhaps some of the other things in terms of how to become a good, you know, share trader, option trader, and time leverage. You know, you they're big lumpy assets, but once you bought them, you know, it doesn't take a lot of your time. So, you know, we thought it was low risk. We thought it was easier to educate ourselves and we thought it would be very efficient for our time so that's why we invested in property and from basically from 2009 we we literally sold our our house to to clear all of our debts and give us a bit of seed capital um but from sort of 2011 we basically bought uh, eight properties in nine years just one, one a year you know that was the plan love it yeah, love that. Uh, you, do you mind sort of breaking down what sort of properties you bought and why and what, what was the strategy that you were pursuing at the time? So um, we were buying, it was basically, I was very lucky that as part of the education, I met Jane Slack-Smith, 
And her Trident strategy made a lot of sense to me, buy below market value, renovate, you know, to add value and then refinance and repeat. So it was fundamentally that strategy for the first few. Um, So we bought um, we bought a a property up in in Brisbane, uh, up in Murray, which was a good house, good land value. Didn't actually need a lot of work, but we did a little bit of a you know cosmetic renovation and drew some money out of that property. We we basically bought our home in Mount Martha and turned the house that we were living in, which was a townhouse in Brighton East, into an investment property. But the house in Mount Martha needed quite a lot of work, and we 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 sunk quite a bit of money into that. But we were able to access that money and more because the we added a lot of value. We we probably added, we spent about $120,000 on that house and probably added almost 300000 of value, which we were able to access to to buy more assets and literally just recycling the capital for the first couple of years. And then after about year three or four, we'd seen a little bit of um, capital growth. So we were able to re- refinance and, and draw money out of the investment properties that we'd had. So that was that was our strategy. It's it's evolved a little bit now, Bushy, because we've we created enough equity. So we're now in the stage where we're sort of pivoting a little bit more towards cash flow, uh, so that we we don't really want to sell down all of our assets to free up that money. We want to sell some of our assets to buy more cash flowing assets. And yeah. we're doing that primarily in the UK because it's actually much easier to find higher gross margin assets over there we don't we it's nice to get the capital growth but we need cash flow now to live on so that that's been our pivot and that's happened in the last sort of two years love it i, I love that you've been smart enough to work out that uh, transition mate because i i talked to a lot of investors about the fact that uh, residential property in australia is a great vehicle to actually grow your nest egg but you're never going to survive off the rent so there definitely needs to be a transition and what I call the capital growth to cash flow curve where you invest initially in growth and then when you're getting to a point where the nest egg's at a size that it needs to be to uh, you know, fund your ongoing lifestyle, then transition that portfolio into a much uh, stronger cash flow yield proposition, uh, again with assets that don't create a second job for you, so you're putting your time and energy into things that are important to you. So um, I love the way that you've uh, sort of working through that. Is, is that something you just picked up by um, osmosis, or uh, w- <laughs> where did that recognition come from? So so our, our original plan, Bushy, was, you know, I'd done 10 years at Chibani. I decided that I was going to take uh, 12 months to 18 months off early 2000 and go traveling and spend time with my mum back in the UK. So COVID got in the way of that. But so we got to the UK and we were we were doing some traveling and we were exploring the country. But when COVID sort of locked locked down, I thought, well, what am I going to do now for the next 12 months? I can't come back to Australia. Yeah. What what can I do? And we we'd already worked out what our security number in terms of cash flow was and what our independence number was. So we said, okay, let's start working. Let's start working on those in the UK. And we, we did some property education. So we, we learned how to you know, rent out houses by the room, which is what they call houses of multiple occupation or boarding houses 
here. So we bought some of those. Uh, and also how to rent out a house by the by the day. So we're doing holiday lets in York, which is a beautiful tourist destination. And both of those strategies means that we're probably getting at least 50 and probably almost double the cash flow from the, the same asset. So, and, you know, the plan is to rinse and repeat. And what's interesting in the UK and unlike in Australia is if you can find a good enough deal with enough margin, then you can get finance. It's not capped at what your income is. So for me as someone who now doesn't want to, I don't want to do the corporate 90 hours a week and earn a big salary. I, I want to do a lot less hours. I can still invest in the UK because I can find assets that generate good cash flow. Yeah, love it. And as you say, you're a lot, lot easier to fund uh, as a consequence and not, not by the sounds of things, as restrictive of, as what it has become here in Australia in, in recent That's times. Right. Yeah, I'd love for it. Let, let's dig into that a little bit because uh, having uh, – similar to me, I, uh, my wife and I have, have got properties in the US and, and in Australia and, and the learnings have, have been uh, really worthwhile – uh, because of the the differences and the similarities, can you sort of uh, sort of paint a bit of a picture then of the uh, both the similarities and the differences in a bit more detail uh, with the differences between the UK and investing in property in Australia? Well, I think the the similarities. Firstly, property to a you know an Englishman and property to an Australian is it's really important. You know, it's it's everyone's aspiration to own their own house and. And, yeah, so the market in that regard is is very similar. It's also similar in as much as if you go to London, then it's it's a bit like investing in Sydney or Melbourne. The, yeah, the, the gross yields are very, very low, but you're hoping, and in many cases, in most cases, in fact, over time, you get, you know, significant capital growth because it's a global city. There are lots of high-paying jobs there. So, you know, the, the market has grown, but outside of London, it's the biggest difference is, well, I suppose, you know, outside of London, the rest of the UK is more like regional Australia, where the yields are much higher. And some of the areas where we're looking at potentially investing, the gross yield is 10%. Wow. And for a buy to let. Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure there are places in Australia that you can do that. But this is three quarters of an hour from Manchester, which is one of the biggest cities in the UK. You know, this isn't in the middle of nowhere. So Brilliant. That, that's that's that link to the fact that we can get finance over there is, you know, that that's a I'd say that those are the biggest differences. It's easier to get better cash flow and it's easier to get finance over there. Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, let's delve into uh, the some of the uh, prop tech uh, startups that you've invested in. I'd love to get your feelings on on why you've gone in that direction and and how does that fit into your investment strategy as you see it? Well, look, firstly, our part of our strategy is I'll never invest more than 5% of our now uh, our equity in any deal. So, you know, I've invested in two uh, property tech startups, but it's only 10% of our wealth. But I think that they're both businesses with huge potential. The first one is um, with Pete Wargin, who I have a huge amount of time for. He's a, a guy who I know, like, and trust. And I think he he's very passionate about what he does as a buyer's agent. And 
The business is called buyersbuyers.com.au. And really what that is, is about making using a professional buyer's agent much more affordable and attainable. And I, you know, we bought four properties in Queensland. We would have bought no properties in Queensland without a buyer's agent. So I, I know the value that a buyer's agent brings to the table. Yeah. Uh, and particularly if you're a, a working professional, you've got no time. You want to make those decisions. If if you get a buyer's agent, you take action. Now, the challenge with buyer's agents is that they, they spend a lot of their time recruiting people, and that's expensive. So the fees that they have to charge are a lot higher. What buyer's buyers does is it's almost a marketplace for people that want to buy property, we can connect you through to a brilliant buyer's agent, experienced buyer's agent, at a lower price because the recruitment cost of the buyer's agent is much lower. So I think it's a really good model. And yeah. currently, only I think it's about 3% of people use a buyer's agent to buy property. And when I look at the marketplace, if, if, if a real estate agent sells one house a week and you buy one house every seven years, then he's got 350 times more experience than you have in this transaction. There's only going to be one winner in that negotiation. You've got to have an expert on your side. Um, but, you know, so I, I think that that's a really great business. And in markets like the US, having someone on the buyer side is quite common. Yes. So just want to help people not make mistakes. I think good advice is a right, not a privilege. And if we can make it cheaper then people can access it. And buyers, buyers have actually got some amazing free tools on their website. So if you want to do it yourself, there's a lot of help there. But if you want, if you want some help with any part of the, yeah, the process, they can help you. So that, that's buyers, buyers. And the other business that I invested in was actually a business that I used in the UK called Crowd Property. So it's crowdproperty.com.au. And so what that is, is it's a marketplace for investors, to invest money on property projects with a first charge security, uh, and they help small small investor uh, small developers do projects. So I think it's sort of capped at three or five million dollars in Australia. And the challenge, if you're a small developer in Australia, the challenge is the banks are just it's just too hard. Yeah. They talk about a slow no. So you will find an opportunity and you'll work with the bank for nine months. And you'll get a no. Well, that opportunity is probably passed by then. Yeah. So what Craig Property does is, you know, it looks at those deals. You know, if it's a really good deal, it'll fund it'll fund it. But one of the things I really love about this business is, if it's not a good deal, they will say why. So the the property developer actually gets feedback and say, oh, look, here's your, you know your bill costs are too high or your 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 margins too low. Or, yeah, that they'll they'll help pin, pinpoint why it's not a deal that they want to invest in. So it helps educate the developer to become a better developer. And as an it, so I've invested in this, the actual startup of that business, but I'm also an investor in projects. So I get 7 or 8% return on any lazy cash that I've got lying around for 6 or 12 months. Most of the projects are between 6 and 18 months. So it's just a good way of, of getting a return on your money. And with inflation, rising you don't you want to be sat on enough cash that you're safe but not so much cash that it's being eroded by inflation so those are the two businesses um and yeah i'm really enjoying sort of supporting 
mainly the buyers, buyers thing, but David Ingram at, at, Crab, at Crab Properties, a terrific guy, and I think they're going to do amazing things. Yeah, love it. Love the uh, fact that you're investing in opportunity, but but also minimising the exposure. I'd, I'd see way too many people, uh, particularly in recent years, where they they basically sold the farm and th- chucked everything into crypto, uh, and chasing the you know the the golden spoon and the the, the massive rewards, but had no attention to risk. And uh, I, one of the things I'm sort of picking up from uh, your own learnings is the recognition of risk. And, and therefore uh, investing in, a, in such a way that minimises that on your way through. So uh, very interesting, mate. If we, if we look back on, so you've had a, you know, a, a fair spread of uh, investments uh, over the years. Can you sort of uh, give us a feel for what's been your best and worst investment and, and what you've learned from both of them? Well, my worst investment is quite easy. It's a thing called Great Southern Tree Plantations Bushing. <laughs> and I remember... I say, this is a great way, Pete, you're going to save a fortune on tax. And that was easily my worst investment. Um, my best investment, it's probably been in building my networks and my education so that I had the confidence to do the property investing bushy, you know, and whilst I still use the, use the buyer's agent to buy most of the properties, I understood the process and I understood what I was looking for, which which I think has really helped us. And and I think once you've got that knowledge, Bushy, it's really reassuring because you no one can take that away from you. Whatever happens, you know you've got the, res- the skills to rebuild. So I'd say that the education that I've got, and I've got that through, I've paid for training courses, I've paid for mentors, I've had you know, mentors who've just helped me along the way. I've listened to podcasts like yours and a few, you know, and lots of other ones. And last and definitely not least, lots of networking. You know, who do you know? Who do you know who's a bit further ahead of you on the journey? Uh, and reach out. And people are very kind and generous and will help. And likewise, you do the same for other people. I always, say, I always believe send the elevator back down, Bushy. You know, so if, if someone reaches out for, you know, a bit of a discussion around thinking about this and thinking about that, just sort of share your your experience. You can't give them advice, but you can share your experience and perhaps help them with the questions that they should be asking themselves and, and other people. And that's definitely been the best investment, you know, investing in my knowledge, investing in my network. Yeah, and therefore, I've got great properties. Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, if we sort of sum up then, uh, what does fulfilment and freedom look like to you? Freedom is uh, it's just freedom to work with who I want to work with, Bushy, where I want to do that work, so be it in the UK or Australia. Um, freedom not to worry about money. You know, once you've got a passive income that, you know, you know all that your your, your bills are, are covered without working, or what I perceive as working. You know, for someone else, that is freedom, and it's a it's a it's a joyous place to be honest. Because then you want to try and help other people get to the same place that you've got to, because yeah. you've got time. Time is the is the key bit for me. I often say it's all about time. Because if you've if you've created a vehicle that doesn't rely on you, that that funds your lifestyle, and you can then put your energy into things that are important to you, 
then suddenly life becomes extremely fulfilling and, and helping others is just a, you know, an awesome way to do that. So I'd love for you to sort of take that a bit further then and paint us a picture of what your ideal lifestyle and your life vision looks like uh, and make it as vivid as you can if, if possible. So lots of lots of travel bushy. We we love doing house sits, so we go and look after other people. We we love dogs. So the only time we're happy to leave our dog is we're going to have to look after someone else's dog. So <laughs> what sort of dog? Uh, Pip, we've got one at the moment. Pip, she's a greyhound. She's she sat in on this interview. She hasn't made a murmur. <laughs> that's her. Um, love it. But it, it, it it's it's being able to, you know, we, we did house sits before COVID all over the UK, met loads of people, met some beautiful dogs, explored some great places. We love doing that. And it's a really cool way of exploring because yeah. you walk in someone else's shoes. So you, you get to experience the, the area. You also get to know the neighbor, the milkman, you know, because they brief you on all this stuff. And it's really cool to live someone else's life, even if it's only for a few weeks. Yeah, um, love it. Yeah, we, with Sonia and I are exactly the same, mate. We've done quite a few house swaps and house sits over the years. And for that very reason, you're really get, getting into uh, the, the true local uh, culture rather than sort of a, a vacuum traveller motel experience, right. which are, are vanilla on the same everywhere you go. That's uh, so true. Yeah, That's I'd so absolutely love it, mate. And and share your love for dogs, of course, because we've got a, a couple of rescued Samoids that uh, keep us smiling every minute of the day. <laughs> so uh, you, you can't can't beat the companion of a of a good dog, mate. There's just something about them, isn't there? Well, they they keep you in the present, Bushy. You know, they if you they're one of the best things in the world is to watch a dog stretch, and they 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 just the joy on their face of living in the present and. They're such great teachers, you know, uh, Pip and all the dogs that we've had have taught us so much about living in the present and the joys of that. And I think, yes, they they make, they're not your whole life, but they make your life whole, for yeah, sure. Yeah, that beautifully said. I, uh, often if I'm having a, a troubled day, uh, I just got, got to look under the desk and there, there's the dog <laughs> smiling back at me and I'm going, what the hell am I worried about? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, love it, mate. I absolutely love that. So uh, tell me, uh, if we uh, look back on your, and you've touched on some of these, but uh, what investment mistakes have you made and, and what mistakes do you see other investors making? I think the bit, a couple of mistakes, abdicating responsibility. You ultimately have to make the call. Um, and to do that, you need to educate yourself about what you're investing in. So that's a, I think that's a big mistake that I made uh, early on. Um, and the, the other big one is not starting early enough. You know, we started investing in property when I was 43, I think. So we were no spring chickens. Um, but if you've, got, if you've got 20 years, then you can take a lot less risk than if you've got two years. And I think start early, you know, get yourself educated, find people that you know, like, and trust who've already done what you want to do and spend time with them. You know, pay, pay, I think it's okay to pay for education or mentorship, but, you know, there's also loads of free resource. But whatever you do, you've just got to take action. And, you know, for us, the buyer's agent was, we, we spent 
two years talking about property, we'd educated ourselves. It wasn't until we had a buyer's agent that we pulled the pin in Brisbane. So find people that can execute for you. Because if you're a busy professional, you won't you you won't have the time, and you rightly prioritise you know or you'll prioritise your family and friends and and all that stuff's really important. But you can't let it you can't let it mortgage your future because that's what you're doing. If you're not taking action now, then you yeah there's going to be a debt on your future that you'll have to pay and you won't want to pay it. Love it. That's a that's a great way of looking at it. Uh, mortgaging your future, mate. That's a, a awesome expression. Uh, slightly different tack on the same thing. If you were starting out again, uh, what were you investing differently? I would definitely invest in my edu- I would definitely invest in property. I would invest in my education. I would invest in having more work experiences. I, I worked for certainly early on in my career for the same companies for a long time and I could have learned so much more by jumping around a bit more but I think the most important thing is I would be investing in having multiple streams of income you know one someone once described to me a job is just over broke because once that job stops if you run out of money then you're in trouble so you you develop multiple streams of income be that a business a side hustle property it almost doesn't matter what, but that's really important. And I wish I'd started that 15 years earlier. Yeah, never too late to start though, mate. And you've actually done something about it. So uh, a lot of a lot of people, as you've mentioned a couple of times, talk about it a lot, but they actually don't get around to ever taking any action. So uh, no, some, some great learnings there. Um, if we sort of summed up uh, your belief and what the keys to successful investment are, then what would they be? It's the most important thing, Bushy, is taking guided action. And that guide is either got to be your education or someone who's got the experience to guide you, but take action. And I always think, you know, success is a stairway, not a doorway, right? And you've got to keep moving. And if you don't take action, then you, you just don't move forward. So it's having people around you that can help you take action is really important. Yeah. Yeah, no, you've uh, made some awesome points there, mate. Uh, I'm going to sort of shift gears a little bit now and, and move into what I like to refer as the ambush fast four, the, the old <laughs> podcast special where you sort of uh, get peppered with some questions uh, in, in quick fashion. Uh, so I'd like to start off with what's your favourite quote and why? Oh, look, I love quotes, but I would say your Zig Ziglar, your attitude ultimately determines your altitude. You know, and if you believe things are possible, then they probably are. If you're optimistic about the future, then it'll probably be a good future. You know, so your attitude determines your altitude is my favourite one. Yeah. But I've got loads. I've got almost a book on it, I suspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah I've, I've done the same, mate. I love collecting them and I've, I've actually peppered them right through through my <laughs> own book for the same reason because it just uh, it's amazing how a very simple quote can just sort of uh, instantly capture your imagination and send you in a different direction. Uh, what, on the literary front then, what's the top book that you'd recommend people read and why? I think it's a seminal book of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? Yeah, and this insight that don't work for money, get money working for you. That was a, that really was a light bulb moment uh, for me. And I've gifted that book to so many people. Um, 
and most of them have done nothing with it, Bushy, but <laughs> it, it, if, it, if it lights a fire in one in a hundred people, then I'm happy to keep gifting that book. Yeah, same with me, Matt. I had my Kiyosaki moment back in the, in the 90s and it was an absolute penny drop moment for me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I was lucky enough to go and see him. He, he uh, came to a conference in Adelaide and uh, wow. got, to, got to see him firsthand and um, uh, it really inspired me, actually. Uh, and I, I call it, I had a what I call a, a passive aggressive moment. Everything we've done since that time has, has been aggressively passive. So if it's, <laughs> if it's not giving us an income, it's not growing in value, when it's not a saleable asset, we're not interested. It's about as yes. simple as it gets for us now. Yes. So now love that. Uh, now, uh, back on the subject of investment advice, what's the both the worst and the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received today? Um, invest in Great Southern was the worst. Um, <laughs> and the best was invest in yourself, you know, because you can never lose that bushy. If you've got knowledge, experience, networks, connections, that you can never lose that. So invest in yourself. Yeah. Beautifully said. Now, uh, I always believe that it's our happy habits, rewarding rituals or daily disciplines that contribute most of it to our long-term achievements. Uh, what would be one of those that you think has uh, been a big assistance to your journey? I started meditating after, I've, you know, after I had the disaster at Peter's Ice Cream and I've done a pretty much... I do guided meditation every week and I meditate most days for about 10 minutes and it just grounds me bushy and I, I, it helps with my clarity, it helps with my gratitude about what's great about my life and I, I think it helps with the energy that you emit then, you know, you just give off this calm energy and, and that helps a lot of people, but especially yourself. Yeah, I love it and, and that calm energy comes through in, in everything that... Uh... Uh, emanates from you, mate. Uh, I, I feel totally relaxed just sitting here <laughs> listening to your wise words. Mate, uh, so I sort of bring the whole exercise to a, a, a nice, neat conclusion. Uh, if you reflect back on our great conversation today, can you summarise your key takeaways uh, for our audience of investors? Yeah, get educated, get started, build your network and, you know, just keep taking action and you'll never get it perfectly right, but as long as you, you either earn or you learn, if you get it wrong, then course correct and take more action. Yeah, beautifully and very simply said, mate. Uh, that's some real words of wisdom there. Mate, I, uh, what's uh, next for you and Joe and the dogs? So we, we've, just, uh, we've just settled on another uh, HMO in Manchester, um, which is exciting with our JV partner. We've just literally sold... I've been back in Australia two weeks and I've sold two houses, Bushy, so I'm on fire. I've got <laughs> freeing up quite a lot of capital to reinvest in these higher cash flowing assets. And Joe's due back in in a couple of weeks and we're going to take a bit of time and spend a lot of time with Pip, the dog, and lots of lots of walks and just being present with her. I love it. I guess the one of the... Uh, big advantages uh, given the the fact that different countries are out of sync is that we're giving the boom times that we're going through great time to offload some property assets here and then yes. put them back into high yielding uh, cash flow assets in the UK it's a it's a perfect mix yeah well the property that we've just sold in Chermside West was yielding three percent and the money that you know we can invest a fifth of that money and get the same cash return 
in the UK because the HMO is 15%. So massive. That's a chalk and cheese, isn't it? But but again, you've you've been smart enough to educate yourself in a couple of markets. So there's built in an inherent diversification in in exactly what you've done there. So uh, love the way you've put that together, mate. And uh, you've been extremely generous and open with your time and experience today, mate. Uh, I really know that our freedom finders are going to uh, gain a lot from this enormously. And I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, spend that and share that with us on the show today. You're more than welcome, Bushy, and thanks for all the stuff that you do. It's really inspiring. I love listening to all the content and all the guests. It's really great. Thanks, mate. Uh, We'll stay in touch, and I'll be talking to you about uh, HMOs in the UK, mate, because uh, that's exactly where we're heading. (laughs) Awesome, mate. mate. Cheers, Bushy. Bye, mate. Well, what a great conversation with a very humble and generous living legend. Peter's message on investing in yourself and your knowledge before you invest in other things will be critical to your ongoing success. And if you're fired up about investing in your education and taking your property investment to the next level, no matter where you're at, whether you're a beginner or a seasoned investor that's struggling with your portfolio, come and join me on our unique Property Freedom Formula Flight Program, where I'll personally guide you through our proven process for property investment success and or complete a review of your current portfolio to see how you can improve it how you can reduce your costs, and how you can increase your property purchasing power. To book your free ticket or to find out more, just go to knowhowproperty.com.au forward slash freedomfighters. That's more food for thought. Have a great week. Remember to always get invested in your future, and I look forward to sharing with you again very soon. To get a summary of all this investment gold in the show notes, just email me on hello at khgroup.com.au. It's H-E-L-L-O at khgroup.com.au. Or check us out at www.bushymartin.com.au forward slash get invested. I look forward to joining you next week for another episode of the Get Invested podcast. So thanks for listening. And as always, dream as if you live forever and live as if you'll die forever.